Thank you. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you, Josh and team, for for leading us. Uh, I want to say again, thank you to the to Dell for that. I think that's awesome, isn't it? I think that's brilliant. That's wonderful. Uh, if, it, if it ever goes missing, it's because it's ended up in my house. I'm just throwing it out there, just admitting that I might steal it one day. But it's absolutely brilliant. I don't know about you, but... Um, oh, no, that's not the right one. That's it. Thank you. I, I love a good story. Do you love a good story? Yeah, I love a good story, whether that's told through a book or a program or a, a film or a comedian or a public speaker. I love a good a story. A, a story in a good film keeps you watching. You know, a story in a, in a good book keeps you reading far later into the night than you wish you had when the alarm goes the following morning. You know, a, a good story from somebody else keeps you listening. I remember a time when Jim and I didn't have children, or as we like to call it, the good old days. And um, <clears throat> I do love them, but it's, it's, it's good days without them as well, you know. And uh, we had a touring caravan. And uh, the first big trip that we went on with this touring caravan was up to the Lake District. And uh, we, 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 we toured it up to the Lake District, and it was just me, Jim, and a, a dog that we had at the time. And uh, we, whenever we go on holiday, we always take some books with us, some, normally some fictional books that we just read through, because you've got a little bit more time, hopefully, when you were on holidays, and then you had children, and you think, why did I bother packing those books? But, but we used to love just reading. So we used to get up in the morning, have our breakfast, and sit in our awning of our caravan, sort of watching the sun, just for an hour reading these books. And then we thought, well, we've paid all this money to come to the Lake District. Maybe we ought to go and see something in the Lake District. So then we would, we would sort of get ourselves ready and we'd go off and we'd take the dog for a walk and we'd do a boat trip or we'd do this or we'd do that. But every time we were out, we couldn't wait to get back to the caravan because we wanted to read our books. Now, I can't remember what some of the books were, but we were reading different books. Mine wasn't a pop-up picture book, before anybody says that. They had real big words in it as well. Um, but we used to then get back to the caravan with normally a piece of cake, and put, put a pot of coffee on, and sit there for hours on end, just reading. And we loved it. And it was like, is there anything better in life than doing that? And then children came along, and, and I don't know where the books are now, but... Uh, we used to really, really enjoy doing that because we were invested in the stories that the authors were telling. Last week, I was on a course that I'm studying for, and when I first arrived uh, in Birmingham, I was in a, in a room full of people that the only thing I knew about them was their name because they, we, all, we all had name tags on. And I had no idea who these people were, but by the time I left two days later, we kind of knew each other. And the reason we knew each other is not just because we, we said, oh, you're Wayne and, 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 and you're James and you're this and you're that. We knew each other because we got to know each other and we got to know each other because we shared story. And we shared story of our lives and our families and our ministry and, and how and why we got into ministry and all of those things. That was not just of the students, of the tutors as well. There was a, a tutor there, and she had done an awful lot with uh, throughout her life with Mission Aviation Fellowship in, in Africa. And I went up to her and I said, did you ever have anything to do with, with math in Zambia? She goes, no, I, I knew of it, but I never actually got there. Because I said, the only reason for saying this is because as a family, 
we stayed in the math center in Zambia once. And, but, it, but it enabled that conversation to go to another level and we shared more stories with each other. Some of you will have come across the guy who started Care for the Family, Rob Parsons. He's, um, he's a pastor, he's a teacher, he's an evangelist, he's an author, but the most important thing about him is that he's Welsh. But he... he I haven't mentioned the rugby, I know, but anyway. <laughs> well done, England. Um, uh, may all the other teams beat you. But anyway, so... Where was I? <laughs> Should we just close in prayer and, and that's it? <laughs> but he tells amazing stories. Whether he's written them down or not, is it, or, or whether he's, he's much better to hear when he's speaking these stories out. And I've seen Rob speak a number of times, and whether that's on video or, or, or online or whether in person. And it's just to be in his presence, he, he, he draws you in with his story. And then he hits you with a punchline. And you think, wow. And he's just really good at sharing stories. Because stories are powerful, aren't they? They're impactful. They, they connect us to the storyteller. It's why, you know, the children's TV program, Jack and Ori, that ran between 1965 and 1996. And those, some of you meant you never, ever saw it. But it was powerful for children. I remember sitting on the floor in front of the telly with a packet of cheese and onion crisps and a can of pop. Uh, because you didn't worry about sugar in those days, just watching Jack and Ori telling all, all these different stories. When I was in junior school, we went on a residential school trip to a place called Talibont, and it was a wonderful place, but the only thing I remember about it are the scary stories that the bigger kids told us before we went. Do you ever have that in school? You've gone on a residential trip, and the bigger kids, the older ones, who've already been there, they tell you these well, they call them stories, but they're lies, actually. They tell you these scary stories where you go. And for some reason, do not ask me why, but the scary story about Taliban was there was somebody called the Green Man. And at night, he would walk around the place, preying on young children. And do you know what his fear of, of choice was? His, his, uh, his M.O.? he would steal your underwear. (laughs) Of all the stories the bigger kids could have chosen, we were nine-year-old boys, we were there for five days, we didn't change our underwear, you know? So if he stole a couple of pairs, what difference did it make to us? But I remember that. That was a long, long time ago, and I remember that story as if I was told yesterday. Maybe you love a good story too, maybe... You're the person in your family who always tells the stories. My dad was a, was a great storyteller. He would tell us these, regale these stories of when he was doing national service and when he was this and when he was that and when he was little. And, and I can still remember some of these stories. And it got to a point where me and my sister just didn't, but they thought, that we'd, how could he have had this kind of a life? He used to talk about when he was in the Gobi Desert. And we thought that sounds a really weird kind of desert. And all of a sudden, we, was, we were somewhere and we saw it on TV. And we went, it's real? We didn't believe it was a real place. And he would tell all of these stories. And in my family, I'm the storyteller. And so I will say things to the kids and to Jem about, oh, there was this one time. And normally they go, oh, here we go again. Another one of daddy's stories. 
No, they're true. They're real things that happened to me. Maybe you tell a good story when you're trying to impress someone. Maybe someone of the, the opposite sex when you were, some of you were younger. I remember going out with a girl once and for six months she thought my surname was French. Because I said you pronounce it Dalcion. <laughs> she believed me. No, it wasn't Jem. I'm just saying it wasn't Jem. But she believed me. It was and I made up this elaborate story about why my name was French and you pronounce it Dalcion. You know, and she, she kept saying this, Dalcion. Which my mate said, why is she saying her name's Dalcion? I said, shh, don't tell her. Maybe you sat with a child or a grandchild and you've tried to skip a few pages as you read them a story. But they know, don't they? They know, but can I just say, don't worry, they will not remember. Our kids are 12 and 15. The other day, mentioned them something about, oh, do you remember the Gruffalo? How many times you wanted that red shear? They went, what's the Gruffalo? I wrote him, what's the Gruffalo? Don't you know? And I started telling the story of the Gruffalo. Purple prickles and all of that kind of stuff. They cannot remember it. I said, you kidding me? Every, it's quite a long story, isn't it? Every night I was trying to choose the shortest story and you wanted the flaming gruffalo and now you can't remember it? Just wait till you've got kids. <laughs> They're going to read the whole of the Old Testament before they go to bed, I'm telling you. <laughs> but if you think about how we communicate, we, we use varying tools, don't we? We use facial expressions that can show excitement or or pain or sadness, happiness, confusion, annoyance and so on. They say that the eyes are the window to the soul. And that's because while you can fake a smile, you can fake how you're feeling. Your eyes will often be a true giveaway to how you're actually feeling. There is science relating to both physical and psychological aspects of what it means to be, to be human that both say we can tell an awful lot just by looking into someone's eyes. If you are a teacher, you have learned the art of complex communication just through your eyes. You can look a certain way at a student or the person you're married to and you can communicate what you're feeling and what they need to do just by looking at them in a certain way. We use hand gestures to communicate. We shake hands. We, we high-five. We use our heads to nod and, and to shake our, our heads as a form of communication. On the, this pastoral supervision course that I'm training for, we're exploring, exploring how we communicate with people that we might then be a supervisor to. And the non-verbal aspects of communication and how they're important. But above all of those, one of the main tools we use for communication is how we speak. And today we, we finish our Bless Sermon series, which is a set of practices to bless our neighbours, those who do not know Jesus. It's a way of helping people experience Jesus at the heart of their lives, as opposed to hoping Jesus will become the part, the heart of their lives. And so we've talked about how we need to begin with prayer, to, to ask God to give us names of people that we're going to pray for. And then we do some intentional listening to them as we, we hear what it is that's going on in their lives. And then my favorite one, we go and eat with them. <laughs> we have coffee or cake, we go for a walk with them, we, we spend time in a social setting with them. And then we serve them 
you know, think of some of the ways that Gary was mentioning last week of some of the ways that we can serve our neighbours. We can serve our friends. We can serve our family. But you can't spell blessed without two S's. And the last one is story. And it's probably the one that most of us struggle with. Because it means we have to share our faith. Because we can do all of those things. We can begin with prayer. We can listen. We can eat. We can serve. But there will come a point, friends, when we need to share the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And the reality is that we live with a tension. And we all live with it. And the tension is we would rather show our faith than speak our faith. Because we find it easier to show our faith as opposed to speaking it out. And you know, I I get that. I'm no different to you. It's easy to pray for people. It's easy to listen to them. It's easy to eat with them. It's relatively easy to serve them. It's really difficult to speak out and to share your faith story with them. I want to look at two main passages of scripture today. One looks at how Jesus shared his story. And one looks at how someone who encountered Jesus then shares his personal story. So first of all, let's, let's think about Jesus, which is a good place to start, isn't it? We need to remember that storytelling was important to Jesus. After all, he, he used parables for much of his teaching, speaking in stories that people could understand. The other point we need to to realize and remember is that in Jesus' day, storytelling was important. The oral tradition of passing down truths, of passing down stories of God, that's how they they learned, that's how they shared it with each other. You know, there was was no paper trail, there was was no library to go to, there's no internet. They they shared story with each other. It was a strong oral uh, tradition in, in the Jewish faith. So people learnt about God. They learnt about how much he loves them. They learnt about all of the things that God does through sharing story with each other. Think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Mark, written first, was probably written some 30 plus years after Jesus was crucified. After Jesus has risen from the dead. And so in those 30 years what people had experienced and seen of Jesus would have been passed down. How was it passed down? It wasn't just with a nod and a wink and a high five. It was passed down with story. We're sharing this faith story with each other. So let's look at how Jesus does this from an account in, in John chapter 3. We read, Now a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Let's pause for a moment. Nicodemus was, was part of the religious group of people who had called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard, which we looked at when we thought about the practice of eating with friends. 
But it's interesting that Nicodemus goes to Jesus. So something in the way that Jesus has shared things, something in the way that Jesus has spoken has, has, has caught his attention. He's not ready to go public, and so he goes and sees Jesus at night, when nobody else could see him. And you see, Nicodemus is okay with Jesus being special, with coming from God, but, but then Jesus shares a part of the story that, that confuses Nicodemus. When, when Jesus starts talking about being born again, you have this almost comical exchange where you could see Nicodemus's brain ticking over, thinking, okay, how does a man get born again? He, he can't climb back into his mother's womb. What, what, what are you talking about here, Jesus? And Jesus can see that he's confused. And so he goes on to share the, the spiritual element of this story. Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth. And unless a person is born of water, that's referring to, to when somebody's born and, and uh, uh, the mum's waters break. Unless he's born of water and spirit, that is having a relationship with, with God through Jesus, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then a few verses on, we read, Nicodemus writes, how can these things be? Jesus answers, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. (coughs) If I have told you people about earthly things and you don't believe, how you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And there's this back and forth between Jesus and and Nicodemus, and then Jesus shares even more of his story. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, it was known, you know, Nicodemus was an intelligent guy. He He was one of the teachers and, and he would have known what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is sharing a powerful part of his story. Because Jesus is not saying, not just saying that he's special. He's not just saying that he's come from God. He's saying he is God. And Nicodemus would have known exactly what Jesus was getting at here. This was, this was a drop the mic moment. But Jesus is sharing who he is, sharing his story with Nicodemus. He's saying, I'm not just from God, I am God in human form. But there's even more for Jesus continues his story. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about being being crucified and, and rising from the dead. And then we read, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. That's Jesus. He said he gave me. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Friends, we need to grasp this. Jesus, the master storyteller, is sharing with Nicodemus the gospel message. He's sharing with Nicodemus that he's God in human form, that he is here to save the world. And if Nicodemus believes what Jesus is saying, his life will be transformed too. And not only that, but if Nicodemus wants to be 
wants to, he can inherit eternal life and live with God forever. This is, this is one heck of a story. This is one heck of a testimony that Jesus is sharing. It's his story about why he came to save the world, all because of God's, all because of his love for all of humanity. You see, Jesus cannot share all of this with a few nods and eye movements. Jesus doesn't only share stories in parables so that people can understand, but he shares his heart. And he tells people why he's here, why he came, how much he loves you, why everything has happened the way it has. That's Jesus sharing his story. And then in John chapter 9, we read the account of the healing of the beggar who has been blind from birth. Now, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, for he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. We must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming for no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva. He smeared the mud on the blind man's eyes and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So the blind man went away and washed and came back seeing. Then the neighbors and the people who had seen him previously as a beggar began saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some people said, this, this is the man, while others said, no, 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 no. He looks like him. The man himself kept insisting, I am the one. So they asked him, How then were you made to see? He replied, the man called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and was able to see. He replied, I do not know whether he is a sinner. I do know one thing, that although I was blind, now I can see. See, in this passage, the man has a story to tell. He's been blind from birth. He's not been able to see. He's not been able to have any status, not been able to do anything. And Jesus, for some bizarre reason, he spits on the ground, makes some mud, and he puts it in his eyes. I like the fact that when the man's retelling the story, he misses out the spitting bit. He doesn't mention that. But he says he's able to see. And some of the neighbors are like, oh, that's the man who was blind. No, no, it looks like him. This is doppelganger. They think it's him, but it's not really him. But... They tell the Pharisees, the the teachers of the law, you know, and the Pharisees have a a, a back and forth with them a couple of times. And this man's story is, I I, I don't know how he's done it, but all I know is that I was blind and now I see. And it's a miracle because of what Jesus, this, this person they call Jesus, of what he did. I don't know who he is, I don't know anything about him, but he had a confidence that he felt that he could heal me and I was able to see. And you see, throughout this passage in John chapter 9, the man gives us a good template for how we are to share our story. You see, he goes through certain things. He has, first of all, my life before Jesus. He says, I was blind and this deeply impacted my life and it massively limited my life choices. I had no status. I was an outcast. I was unable to work. I was 
this was my life before I met Jesus. My life was a mess. And the photo is not an advert for the traitors, if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. But anyway, the photo is because the man before he met Jesus, was he was unseen. His blindness was like a cloak that not only hid the world from him, it hid him from the world. And so when he's telling his story, the first thing he says is, well, this is what my life was like before I encountered Jesus. Before I encountered Jesus, my life was, I was hidden. I couldn't see. And nobody saw me. I was, I was worthless. I was useless. I was, I, I, was a, I was a nobody. That was my life before Jesus. And then he talks about his life once he meets Jesus, how he meets Jesus. You know, there are lots of things in life that can have an impact upon us as we encounter them. That's Kezia. I have permission to show the photo. It will cost me a McDonald's, but that's Kezia at about age seven. We're at the Winchester Science Museum, and it's quite a large Van de Graaff generator. And so she touches the Van de Graaff generator. She meets the Van de Graaff generator. She'd never seen one before. She meets it. She puts her hands on it, and she encounters the Van de Graaff generator. And as she encounters this generator something happens. That's not her hair like that because I was in control and I did her hair that morning. (laughs) Her hair is like that because the Van de Graaff generator impacted her. It affected her. It changed her. It changed her hair. She thought it was grey. She's probably glad that she's not in here while I'm showing the photo. But... That's how she met a Van de Graaff generator. And she could not meet it without her life, without something being changed. In her case, her hair. And you see, when, for the man, when he encounters Jesus, how he met Jesus, he met him because this man saw that I was blind and, and, and he healed me and my life was, was completely transformed. He, he seemed to have a confidence. He had a love for me. Meeting Jesus has completely impacted me. Meeting Jesus has completely transformed my life. And so then he goes on to talk about his life since he met Jesus. As I've said, this man was an outcast. People uh, didn't know whether it was him or not when he'd been healed. but, But people could no longer ignore him. They couldn't ignore what had happened to him and ignore him then as a person. The man, was, the man was blind, but now he's eased. We don't know uh, what was going on in that man's life before he was healed. We don't know if he was married. I doubt it, because he, he had no way of earning an income. He was begging on a street. He had no, no place to call home and all of those kind of stuff. But since he's met Jesus, he can now live well. Since he's met Jesus, he now knows what it is to live life in all his fullness. He has status. He can see. He can get a job. He can earn some money. He can get a house. He can possibly get married. He can have children. All of these things. His life is completely transformed. So what's my life like since I met Jesus? Completely different. My life was going this way, but now it's going this way. And wow, is it better. Now, because of Jesus, do I live well. You know, you get, you get those stories of people who've won the lottery and they talk about all that they're going to do and what they mean is all that they're going to get. 
They're going to get a better car. They're going to get a better house. They're going to have better holidays. They're going to wear better clothes. All of these kind of things. And the story of this blind beggar being healed by Jesus, how his life has been transformed since meeting Jesus, is so much better because money could give him things, but Jesus gave him life. Yeah? Money could give him things, but Jesus gave him life so he could live well. Jesus gave him purpose, and he went from not being able to see to being seen. And so when we tell our faith story, that's our template. You know, our, our lives before we met Jesus, how we met Jesus, and our lives since we met Jesus. And the opportunity to share the story that we see this man sharing in John chapter 9 is because we can see the difference. You know, people might start asking him, how can you see? Yesterday, I walked past you and you couldn't see anything. But you're, there's something different. How has that happened? And friends, for us, when we start to bless people, when we start to begin with prayer, to listen, to eat, to share, to serve them, there will come a point where they might look at our lives and think, how is your life different to mine? How, how, how do you seem to have a good marriage? How do you seem to be able to, to look after your finances? How do you seem to be able to, to, to have, you have a different way of being with other people, different way of speaking with friends and all of that kind of stuff? You seem to view your employers in a different way. Your family seems to operate. How is that? Well, it's because of Jesus. It's because of the difference that Jesus makes in my life. And you see, when you do all of those four steps, the next natural step is that people will start to ask us why we are different. So that's all well and good, isn't it? That's great. Go and do likewise. We can see and expect Jesus to share his story. We can see and accept the accounts in the Bible of other people sharing this story. But God, do you still want me to go and share mine? Do you still want me to share my story? Because I I struggle with that. I I don't really want to do that. And so we come up with excuses. We, We clam up. I want to briefly walk us through some, some excuses. We might say, we, I don't have what it takes. I'm not an evangelist. I haven't been trained. I'm, I'm not one of those professional Christians. I haven't got the, the gift of the gap. Look what Jesus says when he sent out the 12 apostles in Matthew chapter 10. And by the way, these weren't trained men either in doing this stuff. He says, you will stand trial before governors and kings Because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, friends, don't worry. It's unlikely that you're going to get arrested for sharing your faith story in in Billericay. However, God says in his word... Don't worry about what you're going to say, because I will give you the words. I will give you the words at just the right time to open your heart and your mind and your spirit to me, and I will share you. So when we say, I don't have what it takes, don't worry, because God does. I don't have what it takes to share how much Jesus means to me. God says, okay, he's my son. I know what I have what it takes. So I will lead you. I will guide you. And then we say, but I don't want to impose my beliefs on other people. Now, I would say don't stand on, I don't believe in standing on street corners and shouting at people 
I don't believe in waving placards about what I believe. But that is not imposed. We're not talking about that. We're talking about just sharing something that is so important to us. It's, it's not soapboxing. D.T. Niles, who was a Sri Lankan pastor and evangelist and part of the Ceylonese Methodist Church, he said this, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That's it. If you go to a lovely restaurant and you have the, the most amazing meal you've ever had in your life, I guarantee that sometime during that week you will tell somebody. Because you want them to go to that restaurant. You want them to experience the, 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 the wonderful flavours, the aroma that you experienced. Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So if you've got bread, because you know Jesus, let's tell somebody else where they can get bread as well. Think about what we're doing when we share our story. We're not looking to convert people. That's, the, that's not our job. That, that's on the Holy Spirit's job description. Our job is simply to draw alongside people, to bless them, and in blessing them, God then does the other stuff. Our job is simply to share where we found bread. You know, Paul says to the church in Rome in, in chapter 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Unless someone tells them. We are not imposing our beliefs. We're simply telling people about Jesus. And then another excuse might be, I doubt God can use my story. We think our story isn't exciting enough, or we we think we've been too bad to be used by God. Let me ask you a rhetorical question and think about the answers in your head. How, what, what can you do with a potato? What can you do with a potato? You can make mash, you can make roast, you can make chips, you can make crisps. In all the things I like here. You can make Dathmar's potatoes. I know that because I'm French. They'll see on. You see, you can make those kind of potatoes. You do a little cube, Padanosta potato. Do lots of different things with potatoes. This is just a few things. But if you can do all of that with a potato and more, think what God can do with you. Allow that to sink into you. I, I, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I, I, I doubt God can use me. I doubt God can use me. I've been church from the day I was born. No, that's wrong, because I wasn't born in a church. But I've always gone to church. I don't have this dramatic conversion where I was really down and out. I doubt God can use my story. Think of what you can do with a potato. I'm not calling you potatoes, by the way. (laughs) But if God can, you can do all of that with a potato and you're a human being, imagine what God can do with you. And the final excuse, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I get that. The thought of sharing our faith can be uncomfortable in, in ways that sharing other things aren't. You know, we're obsessed, aren't we, with, with, with binging box sets. Sorry, I'm obsessed with binging <laughs> box sets. Quite often in the office here, Gary, Roger, and I and others will, will talk about some of the things we've seen. Have you seen this on TV? Have you seen that, Phil? And we're quite happy to, to share, and that doesn't make us feel uncomfortable at all. 
And there's a reason, though, sharing what I like watching on TV is easier than sharing my faith, because the devil isn't worried about me sharing what I like on TV. Because that's not going to transform somebody's life. But he is worried about me sharing my faith. Because that might transform somebody's life. And that's why it's awkward. Because the devil makes it feel us feel awkward and uncomfortable. You know, God's plan for enlarging the kingdom is simple. Just to us. Just to us. Uh, Pastor and Evangelist. Pastor Charles Stanley once said, God's plan for enlarging his kingdom is so simple. One person telling another about the Savior. The joy you'll have when you meet that person in heaven will far exceed any discomfort you felt in sharing the gospel. It's worth feeling a bit uncomfortable for the opportunity to help someone fall in love with Jesus. So as we come to a close... What's your story? We've all got one. What's your story? First of all, let God write it. And I say that so if you're sat here, if you're watching online, and you, you, you don't know Jesus, you know of him, but you don't know him. You haven't said, Jesus, I want you to be part of my life. I want you to transform and change me. I was blind, but now I want to be able to see. Let God write your story. Invite him into your life so that he can write your story. And then compose your story. You know, in 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as your Lord, as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. You know, spend some time. Go for a walk. Spend some time just thinking about if somebody said to you, what is your faith story You know, what was your life before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what your life was like after? Just think about that. Some people call it an elevator story. If you're going from the bottom to the top of a building, you've got, I don't know, 30 seconds to tell your story. What would that be? So don't just leave it to chance. Think about it. Then when somebody asks you, don't get it out on a piece of paper or your phone and read it because you've internalized it. It's your story. You know it. And so you share it with others. So compose your story. And then ask God to give you opportunities to share your story, but only ask him if you really want to share it. Because I believe if we say to God, God, will you give me opportunities to share my faith story, he will give us opportunities to share it. And then be honest with your story. And by that, I mean, don't feel you have to clean it up. That's what we do in life. That's what we do. That what, what we put, what's in the mirror, that's what we want to portray to other people. That's what often social media does. It portrays this, this touched-up life. This, it all looks lovely. I was watching Michael McIntyre's big show the other week, and, and he, had, there was, he, he, gets, he does a send to all. I won't go into it, but if you know what it is, you do. If you don't, you need to watch it to find out. But he then was looking at somebody's phone, and they had this, this app on their phone that you could completely alter your face, to take all the blemishes away, move your, your eye up if you've got a bit of a droopy eye, put your hair in a better place. And that's what you portray. What you don't show is that the apple's half-eaten. Don't, don't, don't clean your story up. Somebody once said to me, something had gone on, and somebody once said to me, how do we make this look like everything's okay? The answer is we don't. Because it's not okay. 
And so we, we need to be honest and we just share how it really is. You know, the most painful part of your story might be the most life-giving part of someone else's. God has given you a story, so go on. Tell it. Just tell it. Pass the worship group to come back up and we'll close. Let me close again with a passage from Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Amen? That is our role. To tell people about Jesus. To share our story. So let's support one another in telling our faith stories and in doing so, see people fall in love with Jesus and invite him to be the heart of their lives. Let's pray together. Father, just... Just, just for a moment. May we pause. May we just pause and allow your spirit to fall upon us. To encourage. To challenge. To equip. That we will be people who, who don't just stop after the first S. But we will be willing to be intentional about sharing our story. And it's a good story. It's a story of how our life has been transformed and will never be the same again. Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords saw us, healed us, transformed us gave us a new set of clothes and said let me walk with you Father may you be the one who who gives us that opportunity and gives us that word and oh what joy it will be when one day we stand in glory and there is somebody there because we were willing to share our story much in the same way we will be in eternity because somebody shared their story with us. And Father, you, you have no plan B. We are it. You've called us to be in relationship with you to then share that with others. But you also tell us when you call, you equip. And may we know you're equipping this week. Father, just want to say that if there is somebody in this place or online that does not know you as their, their Father God, as Jesus as their personal friend, as your Spirit's power enriching and guiding and leading them, then when you call them into your heart right now. Friend, if, if that's you, just say, 
Thank you, Jesus, for sharing your story with me. I'm sorry when I've ignored your story. Please forgive my sin and lead me in a new life everlasting. Friend, if you've prayed that prayer, know that you now have a story to tell. And like all of us, with God by your side, may you tell it. Because it's a good story. And it's a powerful story. And it will change somebody else's life. Bless you, Father. Bless you, Jesus, bless you, Spirit. Amen.